friends. Welcome to Silo Busting. I'm your host, Allison Coton, an interaction designer at EPAM Continuum. Let's talk about time. The time it takes complex software to receive and parse data, decreasing closer and closer to the holy grail of real time. The unnervingly little time it takes digital bad actors to start hacking systems to disrupt processes and steal information. The by comparison tectonic time that it takes companies to undergo a digital transformation. Time is a kind of currency in today's marketplace of fast data and customized response, and to the fastest go the spoils. In this latest Cybersecurity by Design episode of Silo Busting, Sam Raymond, Chief Information Security Officer and SVP of EPAM, talks with Mark Macaray, CTO and co-founder of Logic Keepers, about the art and science of fast data. You won't be surprised to learn that there's more to this space than the ever-accelerating race towards real-time data analysis. As data streams pour in, security remains a moving target, succeeding when developers and even the systems themselves work in concert, pairing human ingenuity with machine learning. Of course, those bad actors I mentioned bring similar tools to the race, necessitating ever more speed and creativity. I'll give you a hint here, straight from a kid's fable. The winner of the defense race in a fast data world isn't necessarily the quickest, but the most creative and the most willing to work collaboratively. When security is built into the foundation of a new platform, When solution architects and security experts are part of the strategic planning as well as development, we're building systems that are flexible, resilient, maybe even fast enough to defend themselves. Hey, Mark. So good to have you at the podcast. Um, You and I have been talking about uh, fast data and security for quite some time, and so I'm I'm super excited to have you today. But maybe before we start, can I just ask you to introduce yourself to the audience a little bit? Hey, Sam. Thank you very much for uh, having the time today, and um, this is really um, very um, exciting, and I guess um, maybe I'll uh, talk a little bit about what we do at Logic, Logic Keepers, and you know, we'll just uh, use this as a, a segue um, to introduce myself. So, as as you know, um, uh, companies right now are really looking up for digital transformation, maybe as a hype, but some are really looking into that as a way to increase their revenue and reduce their costs, especially um, during the pandemic. So logic keepers are really helping with that, with that, uh, on that front. A lot of the things that um, companies look for on the business side when they do this is to, to make sure um, they are keeping up with the modern application architecture and things like that to be able to, to be successful on that front. And the way they do it um, sometimes is, is not optimal. So they ask the IT, you know, what's the best way and the fastest way to do this? And they will tell them that, you know, the, we'll go to the cloud. And you know, how are we going to go to the cloud? We, we just use lift and shift. And, and they don't end up with, with a good experience in there because you just repeat what they do every day, not really create something that's suitable to distribute computing. So um, Logic Keepers, as the name implies, we bring Sanity back to cloud uh, architecture and building solution in the cloud. We help those companies that, you know, to go on the right path. We are their guide. We walked in there before. We did the solutions before. So our programs really um, simply help with things like uh, um, fast data, machine learning, and um, all those um, enablement tools that will allow them to be successful in distributed computing environment. That's perfect. Thank you so much. Now, so that's... That's exactly why we're here, by the way, because I, I get this question a lot, and, and I have been getting DMs directly and asking me to you know, get into something more technical. And, and so fast data, could you, could you maybe just for the audience define um, what do you see as fast data, first of all, 
Absolutely. And and actually, uh, we get this question a lot because people, isn't that like uh, big data on steroid or, or something like that? And, um, you know, big data is usually around having a lot of pieces of data together um, with all the advancements that we have on the storage side. And then we run batch processing and that to be able to get a useful info from this, right? Now, um, with the introduction of IoT gaming and, and media streaming and things like that, they found out that, okay, you know what? We have capabilities now to be able to run those um, event streams coming in or those events for us coming in as fast data uh, streams. We can run them and um, being able to process those and, and figure out things like predictive analytics from them near real time or real time. So they have the ability to not just receiving a massive amount of data, but to also process those near real time and being able to tell useful information from the piece, those pieces of events coming in um, to be able to use it in uh, predictive analytics. Um, there is a lot of things that on the use cases side, so you can find them on the e-commerce, for instance, where you know, find out the perfect uh, price point, uh, like um, the peak um, Black Friday, or this, uh, this kind of things, or on the financial side, or be able to, to tell um, the what if on the trading portfolios. Even during the, the pandemic, uh, like contact tracing and things like that. So there's a lot of use cases, um, business use cases where you can use fast data to process events coming to you, including security, where be able to have like a crystal ball or predictive analytics that will help you with your business. Right, right. Yeah, I, so I, I'm going to I'm going to show my age. Not that people don't know, but I'm going to date myself right here. But I when, when I used to work on streaming, it was way back when, you know, we need kernel mode and we would write like either a soft driver or, or a device driver to actually go on kernel mode for high performance for financial we're talking about a different age now. Are we? Are we talking? So, can you maybe talk a bit about you know because we went through a whole stage about complex event processing. We went through a whole stage called you know called streaming, and it, are they all the same thing and a different evolution of it? Where where are we today? Are we more focused still on real time, which is you know to computer science as is you know Mark, real time just means predictable time frame. It does not mean it's immediate, right? There's no such thing as immediate. But are we are we to a level now that we're talking about predictable time frame for some of this data processing? Exactly. That that that's why we um, we talk about it as if it's near real time processing. So we cannot hit this real time window. Um, and the difference is really right now is is way farther um, or or smaller, I guess, in terms of response time than what we had before. So we had an evolution like um, nine eight years ago on on the hardware side. And that led to an evolution on the software side. So in the past, to be able to handle something like event processing, you have to have huge capabilities and, and you have to have special hardware and things like that. Right now, with things like with event um, processing, event streaming, um, an event bus, like which is used using um, log and log events um, instead of a huge um, message bus or something like that, like Kafka, this is completely different than before. It's it's a lot of capabilities in our hand that changed the world for us where we can do this near uh, real-time uh, processing or predictability. 
a lot cheaper than before and a lot faster than before. Yeah, I know. We're, we're I, I still remember just now I'm talking about 10 years ago when, you know, everybody was trying to get Fusion IO cards and putting everything in memory and and trying to do it that route. And that was like a big deal. But I, I next time when you're when you're doing a class again, please give me a call. I'd I love to sit in Absolutely. and understand more about where it's at and, and, and just get myself back up to speed. This is something that's near and dear to my heart. But now let's maybe talk a bit about um, where where I'm I'm getting into a lot of discussions around this, and I want to hear from your perspective. It's insecurity. It, we always talk about you know um, uh, security at for encryption at rest. We talk about you know in motion or in transport, and then we talk about in use as a firsthand. By the way, for somebody who's worked on this for the last 30 something years, I could tell you it's such a complicated thing. Anytime when you talked about visibility in, uh, in use, it's a very, very complicated issue. And so uh, when we talk about fast data, when, when there is so much data that's uh, moving and, and we're talking about, as you said, you know, near real time, how do you look at security and, and specifically right now I'm talking about maybe visibility and integrity, which is how do we, how, what's the approach right now? Is it, you know, well, no, it's just in transit. Don't care about it. It doesn't really matter. And if somebody's snooping into it, I, I'm sure that's not the case, but, or is it, you know, best, you know, best effort approach. Where do people see performance degradation because of, of security and visibility control could you speak to it maybe a high level and we could double click into it? But but that's the that's the overall premise that, that I think a lot of people are concerned about when they're adopting, you know, streaming or fast data and 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 more and more of you know near real time types of even on the high level, Mark, on EDA. A lot of people are afraid to even go to EDA for for event driven architecture for um, uh, secure sensitive data. How do you, can you unpack that a little bit? Yeah, absolutely. And actually, yeah, you, you'll be surprised. <laughs> um, and um, I'm going to explain a little bit um, about that. So fast data is very appealing uh, from from the business side. Right? It's, it's, again, like having this crystal ball that would help you with a lot of um, areas where you can gain competitive advantage or reduce cost like uh, supply chain and things like that. So th- this um, business advantage has also a window of opportunity. So because it's a near real time, if you really haven't done that in a small window, then you might actually lose uh, the benefit, the business benefits, and, and um, that will diminish the return on what you are doing in there. So this uh, appeal to the business sometime that um, – as, as you know, will drive them to put some pressure on on the IT side. And um, that pressure would lead to some wrong assumptions on, on the security aspects. I'll, I'll give you a few examples. So one of the examples that we run into on the fast data side, it's really on the distribute computing. So fast data is not just on uh, passing the data in, in temporary transit, Right now, when we use the log events, it actually stays in there. Some some people would say, like, you know, it's going to stay in there for replay and things like that. And some of those event uh, bus provider would say that you can leave it in there forever and things like this. 
So what happens in there, when those fast data come in or fast events comes in, you really care about how you're going to process those. And be able to process those, you need to process those through distributed computing. And distributed computing naturally would increase your um, surface where you're going to receive attacks. So a lot of people that would think about this is just um, regular microservices uh, and what's going to happen in there that if we have this microservices, for instance, behind the firewall, we're going to be protected. Um, They will forget about uh, things like internal attacks. Um, When you hear things like that, um, it's going to stay in there forever, unlimited amount of data for unlimited time. Definitely, it's limited. At one point, it's going to impact, as you said, impact your performance, uh, your responsive, and things like that. Sometimes people think about this. It's um, different bits of data um, you know, and, and events. For an attacker to be able to make sense of this, they have to put them together, and this is something very hard to do. And actually, it is not. It's, it's easy to do. So um, this environment sometimes, unfortunately, uh, would give you a false sense of security. You know, things like people would assume this is secured uh, by default or by design for instance, and it is not. Uh, so that, that that's, you know, we see this a lot. And, and when we talk about secure is the LC and things like this, we see this a lot. And unfortunately, that uh, security comes in after the fact. Because again, because of the pressure that the business is putting IT to, you know, to make this ready on time. Gotcha. Yeah, I, I, it's it's interesting. Where I think, as you pointed out, that that false sense of security is is actually a very very common thing. And um, on on fast data, so could you tell me a couple of attack vectors or a couple of concerns that you personally see or you see that's valid? Uh, and, and and maybe how would you approach hardening it and, and what do you think it's the right approach for it? So, you know, m- maybe unpack it a little bit, but but um, I'll, I'll give you one, for example. There was one that might not be that common, but this is way back, and again, you know, early 90s, where I had, um, I was still in Barnet, and you could look it up, but, you know, a gentleman actually modified a Poco box and he went in jail for it, but he basically put a delay on the X25 boxes that goes between the stock, you know, exchanges. Right. And and he was doing false tradings and so on. So latency attack is not common, but it does exist, especially financial trading. So that's one vector that's not common, but it's there. Uh, could you talk about a few areas where you would say, you know, specifically for fast data that you are concerned about or you think people should take a, you know, double look at? Absolutely. And, and I think I was just going to give you a couple of those. So the first one comes, again, as we talked about in the internal attacks and things like um, the services that really um, processing those uh, bits of data coming in. One one of them that um, where people always work with the assumption that uh, IP or, and fencing security would work from them and they don't need identity. And we see this a lot. And that goes back again to the internal attacks. So right. they, they really forget about um, identity protection, making sure that the right people are invoking those services. And you all think about this is more on the analytics side or, or something like this, which is not always the case, by the way. And they forget about the identity altogether. And they end up with one internal attack or someone would be able to manage to get into the perimeter on the, you know, on, on the IP side. And now it's, it's completely open. 
the you know, there's no identity check and they can access whatever they want. And this is one big uh, problem that we see happening in there. The other interesting one that you actually mentioned there is injection. Right? So the, uh, unfortunately, when, when they build the solutions, they, they don't think about it as this is just an, another API gateway. So people can inject whatever false data that they want in there. And they start looking into the impact of this and what's going to happen in there when you inject f- false data. And there's a lot of things that we can do in there to start the attacks on, on that front. And that's another interesting one that people sometimes also they, they don't think about. So those couple, for instance, as an example, would show you how, um, and hopefully people will be prepared against those, but will show you how, you know, how people can actually utilize a situation like this to gain advantage. That's great. Yeah, wonderful. Are, are there, but there must be positives on on um, on this whole approach as well. In a sense that, do you see area where this actually uh, enforces controls and and improves security around using fast data? Are there are there a certain aspect of it that you yeah. see are actually strengthening it? Absolutely. Yeah. So so I I think that. Um, the nature of the startup that we have, and, and even in a huge enterprise, um, DevOps and Agile sometimes um, force us to go into an environment within the SDLC when we build a solution where we think about it as um, this is the MVP. Um, you know, we need to come up with that first, and then after the fact that we'll look after things like analytics or security or or, or things like that. Um, I guess we would call it the second-class citizen syndrome. But because the awareness and what's happening in the environment, the, the daily attacks that we see, uh, I think that the, the distribution even, I guess, on the vaccine didn't happen yet, but as you, I guess you pointed out today that that there is already attempts and uh, cyber attacks on on the distribution process to gain information and things like yep. this and, and planting seeds and and um, as you can see that there is a problem but the problem sometimes it also helps with the awareness and um, the mitigation for this is just to make sure that you have the right resources from the beginning like for instance when you throw in a certain resource uh, where she, for instance, will be the solution architect, the security architect, the DevOps expert, the cloud native architecture <laughs> expert, right? And then you, you expect everything that to happen in the mix. Definitely, y- you might find um, solution architects like that, and, and that's you know one of the things that we we help with on the LK side. But if if you, ha- if you don't have this, then you have to get the right resources in the room from the beginning. Right as a as a mitigation, you have to make sure that you have the solu- the solution architect uh, awareness on the security side. And if this is not the case, then you have to bring in the security architect into the conversation. The security architect also need to be aware of the solution, um, just to make sure the solution side, just to make sure that they are not impacting the usability side. Right. So so you have to. It's an education uh, process, and you have to help with the awareness early at the beginning to be able to mitigate this and, and make sure that, you know, it's not going to happen after the fact and it's not going to be irreversible, things like that. Right. There's something, now, now I'm getting it slightly on a more um, 
Now, it, it, I want to get into a little bit more fun stuff, even more than what we were talking about before, in a sense that I, I, I was actually doing a keynote recently and talking about how um, defense is about one thing only, and it's about buying you time. So um, a lot of people thought that defense could be 100% or defense is to do this, is to do that. What do you look at physical, like combative, you know, kind of defense, uh, defense, or you look at software defense, if you look at martial arts, it's all the same thing. You block a punch uh, to buy yourself time to either do a move in parallel, like a counter, or you can actually follow up with a counter, or you can buy yourself time to figure out how to get out. All of those defense is, is not there as a as a hundred percent shield to protect you, and so you can sit there and take. I I I used to go in a class, and I would I would tell my students that you know if you think that you can just keep blocking punches uh, for the next five minutes, you, you're kidding yourselves. Nobody could do that, and you either get out, you move away, or you do something about it. So don't fool yourself. Defense is there to buy you time. In security, I say the same thing all the time. Anywhere from you know encryption to you know physical deterrence to to any kind of denial of area you know type of control, they're all to buy you time. What you mentioned about fast data being within a time of window is actually very interesting to me because, as I mentioned, it's it's to buy time. For example, I'm, I'm so I'm CEH. I'm always looking at it from an outside perspective, just by habit. When, when I looked at that, um, I looked at, so for example, people didn't change the password. That's useful for, you know, so somebody could potentially get a hold of that password, could get in until they change the password. Somebody has an patch system until that system is either shut down or that patch is patched. Something, a piece of software persisted a piece of memory, or have a piece of memory in a fixed location, in a memory address, you could see it from Mita Pro. That, that's a small window of, uh, potential, you know, access or exploit that you can pull in. I think. I think what you said about the fast data part—it's it's actually very interesting. It's um, it, it moves. It's a moving target in some ways. So we always say that you know entropy is our friend, uh, in a sense that it, it it creates it makes it more difficult for attacker. I think you were getting into that a little bit. Do you agree? There is. Um, so we do. We do. You know. We do. Uh, um, we we throw in falls without getting into too much detail. Get, give it away. We do that on binary level all the time. We throw in you know no ops or or fake operations in the code to throw you know hackers off. Uh, this is not secret. Everybody knows that. It's just textbook you know technique that we put you know fake data or dog tag we used to call it or or we put in fake stack canary in there so that if anybody do insight you know, channel analysis, they got thrown off. They're like, wait a minute, I thought that was a new stack. It wasn't or something. And so we do those things all the time. Do you see that either people are doing this today, for example, in the event stream, I'm throwing in junk in it and just to fool people. And, and do you see that as a value to throw in some level of, of because I know the attackers doing it and I'll, I'll get into that a little bit, but do you see there, there some, um, there are areas where we can get into which potentially could actually utilize fast data to the next level through, for security to make it even more enforceable uh, in some areas. You see what I'm getting at? Absolutely. You, you brought up a very uh, a very good point 
And actually, um, I'm going to use, um, I guess, uh, predictability as a weapon um, in in this conversation. So you brought up, um, a, uh, I guess, a, a very good example a few days ago by using uh, chess as an analogy for um, for the attack. And, yeah. um, and and what happens in there that you know good chess players can actually read um, ahead, you know. Certain number of moves it depends on how good the player is, and being able to read ahead and being able also to plan ahead that would determine the outcome of the game. Um, and security is the same, although it is not a game. <laughs> Maybe it's a right, game in a way. Right. And right. Uh, you know, it's a big part of it being able to predict how the attacks is going to happen. However, um, it's not the same as chess anymore. Chess is limited by the number you know, squares and moves that you can do in there. This is really getting right now on the security side into the unlimited space. And our brains are running out of um, if statements. The the attacks are getting more and more complex. And when we write software to defend those attacks, sometimes we we don't see the things that coming our way. And that's where fast data uh, actually helps a lot with that. So the machine learning aspect of it. So two things happen on those points. So to um, we talked about the being able to build the model that we're they actually outspan our, our thinking in terms of the if statements. So we we are using hacker pots and um, honey pots and things like that to be able to mm-hmm. see how those guys are you know are acting, the complex attack, the you know those those bad actors that coming in that they actually do probing before they do anything. Uh, sometimes so we we capture all this and what we are doing in there is just learning um, how this happens right and the second part of it is that whenever any of those signals that come in near real time we can predict that there is an attack it's going to happen here or there so this is predictability on the fast data and being able to use machine learning and ai and there's giving us a weapon allowing us not just to learn how those guys act, but also to be ready for them. When they send those signals, we'll be able to we'll be able to quickly respond to that or get an alert here or there. And I, th- I think this is what you were getting at, and it's a very good I point. Am. I am, and I'm I'm actually getting into an area that I don't know. If we have time today to go through it. Maybe we can have another discussion around it. But there is also model poisoning, which is which is around uh, techniques that um so if you look at ueba for example based on behavior um it, a, a lot of the models so attacker does this all the time which is you know if you you, you want to block me i'll flood you right if you yeah. you want to focus on me i'll distract you i'll put a sock bucket puppet on the other side distract you if you want to look at my behavior i'll flood you with data and and you know, instead of actually doing a randomizer, guess what they do? They just spread a virus that do load generation. If you look at what Hajime was last year, a couple of years ago, that's exactly what it was. Right. And so um, I think a lot of that has to do with, you know, the, the fight, as you pointed out, between us trying to use ML, trying to use pattern to understand them, and, and they are doing it at the same time. So I, I guess what I'm trying to say is absolutely, that's an area we have to stay ahead of them. Um, in in without that, I think we're in a losing battle because the scale is just a completely different level. 
um, it, it, we're not at a level that like when I used to be, you only have one UUCP line you can dial in and I can just monitor it. If I don't exactly. see a dial tone, I don't have to worry about it anymore. <laughs> we're at a whole different stage these days. Um, may, maybe, Mark, um, on the ML side, uh, just on a high level a little bit, do you, do you see – uh, so the positive, completely agree with you. You see any kind of attack from that side of, that, that concerns you as well, besides model poisoning? It's a it's a two way game. So sometimes uh, the good guys, which I think we we should be, that we think we are ahead of the game, right? But they are also the bad guys are using machine learning. So now we're getting into machine right. to machine space, and and as you said, that we have to be ahead of the curve. We have to be able to figure out that. Um, it's it's as you said it's art of war, and yep. they create distractions. They you know they do a lot of things that where they actually can um, give us another sense false of security again that we are ahead of the game with our machine learning, but they are actually teaching our models the wrong stuff. It's in, in correct. So we we have to be able to find ways to test our models to make sure that it's not poisoned anyway and things like this. And um, we we have to lose the assumption that they are not using the same techniques, right? We you know, have to be aware, have to have awareness all the time, and, and be ready for it. Because as you said, it's a completely different skill um, right. than what we had in the past. That's right. I, I think I honestly could go on and on, Mark, but I, I think uh, we should stop here. <laughs> um, but uh, I, I would love to do this again. Hopefully, I can actually do it at a coffee shop with you and. And uh, maybe with a white, you know, piece of paper and, and some pen and maybe model a few things together. But I think this is a really good discussion, uh, especially where we're going towards. I, I personally see that we're going to move more and more towards um, the kind of work that you're working on, which is the fast data, the, 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 the more dissemination of data across and, and working with it, uh, as opposed to the, the old ways of, you know, one single source of truth. And, and so my, my world changed, too, in a sense that single source of truth, one single location, one monolith, I can lock it in the room. But as we start to talk about more portable, more transient, more movement of data, my world changed too. It's a very different story between securing, you know, a a fort versus securing somebody that's constantly in motion. So I think it's a great topic. Let's do this again, Mark. I really enjoy it. And, and, uh, I hope, you know, you had fun too. And, and, uh, how about we, uh, we uh, chat again soon. Absolutely. This has been Silo Busting, a podcast from EPAM Continuum. EPAM Continuum integrates business, experience, and technology consulting focused on accelerating breakthrough ideas into meaningful impact. Why do we do this? Because real opportunities aren't siloed. Thanks to Sam Raymond and Mark Macaray for their great conversation. Cheers to Kit Palalas, our sound engineer extraordinaire, for getting this podcast recorded. Applause to Ken Gordon, our producer, for all his masterminding behind the scenes. I'm your host, Allison Coton, and I'm off to hit the treadmill.